So we've recovered 14 soldiers, 12 Continentals, one that we believe is a militiaman from North Carolina. Uh, he also has Native American ancestry. And then we have one British soldier from the 71st Regiment of Foot, a Highlander. You are listening to History Man, where we walk in the footsteps of heroes and proclaim freedom reigns. On today's episode, we are at the Camden Visitor Center in Camden, South Carolina, recording a three-part series sponsored by the Camden Visitor Center and the South Carolina Battleground Preservation Trust. The panel discussion surrounding the discovery and examinations of the soldiers found at the Battle of Camden site reveal much about that revolutionary battle, the soldiers, and their sacrifices. In this episode, we will hear from Dr. Steve Smith and an overview of the battle. with the Liberty Trail and the American Battlefield Trust and the South Carolina Battleground Preservation Trust. It is such an honor to work with y'all and to really talk to people about the Revolutionary War all the time and get to talk about it with people like you who understand and appreciate what we're doing and for that we are ever grateful. We are also the Visitor Center for Camden and Kershaw County. We're here to help you. That is what we do, and we love our jobs. Now, Brittany, our distinguished panel. Okay, uh, if you could all join me in welcoming our panelists this evening. First off, we have, you guys can wave when I say your name, Dr. Steve Smith. He's the principal investigator for the Camden Burials Project, and he currently works as a research professor at the South Carolina Institute of Archaeology and Anthropology at the University of South Carolina. Mr. James Legg uh, is a historical archaeologist for the South Carolina Institute of Archaeology and Anthropology. He specializes in battlefields and military material culture with an expertise in metal artifact conservation. Continuing down the line, we have Dr. Bill Stevens. He is the head forensic anthropologist and deputy coroner for the Bridgeland County Coroner and Medical Examiner's Office here in Columbia and South Carolina. And he also is part of the Canterbury process. <laughs> and last but certainly never least, Dr. Maddie Atwell is another forensic anthropologist and also deputy coroner for the Richland County Coroner and Medical Examiner's Office in Columbia, South Carolina. Before I hand it over to the panelists, Mr. Bostick will be saying a few words. My name is Doug Bostick. I'm the CEO of the South Carolina Battleground Trust, one half of the Liberty Trail in partnership with the American Battlefield Trust, and I also chair the Camden Burials Project. The project kicked off today. Uh, the procession went through all the public schools between Columbia and Camden and went through Fort Jackson. Now, I'll tell you what, if you want to have hope for America, every school turned out the entire student body.
from a big sap, I wept through every school. It was a very emotional experience. We went through Fort Jackson, they had 2,000 recruits lining the streets and fired an artillery salute in honor of the fallen soldiers from the Battle of Camp. So I want to cover a couple of things quickly before they get started so they don't have to dispense with some of the um, details of an always unfolding project. So we recovered 14 soldiers, 12 Continentals, one that we believe is a militiaman from North Carolina. Uh, he also has Native American ancestry. And then we have one British soldier from the 71st Regiment of Foot, a Highlander. Now, the, the, you'll find out at the ceremonies over the weekend, the Native American remains will not be part of the ceremony. We're going to do that privately with the Catawba tribe and the Lumbee tribe. We don't know his tribal connection, but those are the two most likely tribes. And so we'll do something with them at a later date. The other change to the plan is our plan all along was to reinter these men where they were found. Well, once they were certified to be U.S. Army soldiers, by law, the Secretary of the Army is their custodian, um, since we do not yet know their uh, descendants, although we intend to attempt that through DNA. So the tradition of the Army is to bury recovered soldiers at national cemeteries. We pushed back on that really hard, and we advocated that they needed to return to the Camden battlefield uh, because it provided context and tells their story. And so the negotiated position was that we're going to establish a cemetery on the Battle of Camden site. So they won't go where they were found, they'll go at a cemetery, and that's going to happen later. So we never intended for the reinterments to be public because it was going to involve heavy machinery and such. And the other thing is, when we got to, we got to figure out where we're going to put the cemetery, and then Jim and Steve get out there and do the archaeology for that place. And so that'll take a little time to put all that together, but we've come to a good agreement, I think, with the Army. And um, I think this will keep those men where they deserve to be. And so, again, back to the loyalists. We've not done DNA on that person at the request of the tribes. We have sampled DNA on everybody else. And we do intend to try to trace that ancestry. We've had lots of families uh, that said, you know, my whatever great-grandfather was in the Maryland line and killed the Camden. Can I take the test? And we've said to them all, absolutely will help you with when the time is right to do that. So these are four of the smartest people I know and have been really an integral part. An integral part of this entire project. Um, what Steve and Jim and Bill and Maddie and lots and lots of other people on their teams have done is absolutely incredible. It took me the longest time, you should know, to get Maddie to not call me Mr. Bostick, but to call me Doug. She was making me feel incredibly old. And then she whipped out a reference to the OG, and she was shocked that I actually knew what that meant. I didn't know what I meant, what it meant, I just faked it. I thought I would just ride with the tide. So with that, let me turn you over to the people that really know what's going on in this project. Jim, Steve, Bill and Matt.
Tonight, uh, we're going to talk about the Camden Project. We're going to do it in three parts. Part one will be me speaking a little bit about the history of the battle. After that, I'll turn it over to Jim Lake, who will talk about the archaeology that's um, ongoing since 1996. And then the third part of this will be Maddie and Bill discussing what we have found so far with the 14 soldiers that we recovered. So I'm going to be very brief because I look out and I see a whole lot of familiar faces who know a lot more about the Cannon Battlefield than I will ever know. And I know they're taking notes. And I know I'll hear a lot later. So I'm going to keep this very generic and very quick. So uh, the British had always been interested in the South because they always thought there were a lot of loyalists down here. And uh, as things bogged down up north, they decided to turn their attention southward. And eventually on May 12, 1780, they captured Charleston. And immediately they began to spread into the back country using a tactic that perhaps we tried to use in Afghanistan, capturing those important resource points, those cities, little villages in the back country, uh, occupying them, including Augusta 96, Camden, Georgetown, Winsboro, those kind of places. And Camden sort of seemed like the keystone in the kind of arc of that country villages, which they hoped to uh, occupy and then subdue the rebellion. As Charleston fell, there was a contingent of about 1,400 uh, American Continentals on their way to reinforce Charleston uh, under Baron, General Baron de Cal. As he marched through North Carolina, he found out that Charleston had fell, so he settled in at Buffalo Ford, also called Wilcox's Mill. Uh, and waited for the Congress to do, take the next step. The next step that they took was to bring the hero of Saratoga down south to take command of whatever forces were left and to rebuild the army. His name was Horatio Gates. He arrived about July let's see, 25th, and even though he looked around and saw they were People were starving, there wasn't much food, there wasn't much supply. He decided that, well, we can either starve here or we can start on the march. So two days later, he put them on the march. And he took them in a direct route. His route, his idea was to put pressure on and, and capture Camden, South Carolina. We had two options. He could go through the country that was full of loyalists and no food, or he could go an indirect route towards Salisbury, North Carolina, and then farther south. That supposedly had more food, and it did have a lot of patriots that would support them. He chose the former. Uh, why he did that? Perhaps he was, he was concerned uh, that if he did not go directly towards Manchester, South Carolina immediately, that patriots in South Carolina would think they were being left behind. As he marched southward, he um, tried to rein in various militias that were supposedly to join him. Behind him were the Virginia militia, and in North and operating in South Carolina independently was Edward Castle and the North Carolina militia, who was very reluctant to join Gates. And eventually, Gates had to go find him and get him and bring him and round him up. Eventually, they got to Rougely's Mill, which is about 13 miles north of um, Camden, and settled in 
and began to plan what they were going to do. What the Gates decided to do was to move southward uh, towards a place called Sanders Creek. He hoped to get there, but putting greater pressure on the British. Unknown to him, the British knew he, where he was and what he was, not what he was planning to do, but where he was. And under those forces were Lord Francis Walton, who was already in Camden, Lord Charles Cornwallis, the commander of forces for the British in the Southern Campaign, who was in Charleston but quickly rode north and joined forces with Walton. Among their crew was uh, Lieutenant Colonel Master Carlton, who was known as Bloody Band, who had perhaps massacred many people at uh, Waxhaw. That's a sort of a controversial subject, but whatever happened, casualties were enormously uh, outside in, in, in favor of the British. Lots of Americans died trying to surrender. The Order of battle, which we will talk about in more detail, is up before you right now. Uh, there was 1st Maryland, 2nd Maryland, some light infantry, very little cavalry. The cavalry, um, Colonel William Washington actually wanted to join Gates, but he, was, he turned him away. Gates wasn't interested in cavalry too much. And eventually, on the August, the August 14th, a day, two days before they would march out, towards Camden, uh, Virginia militia stumbled in to Rougeley's Mill. So the plan was, as this map shows, for Gates to get to Saunders Creek. It was a defensible position. Rougeley's Mill really wasn't a defensible position. So he tried to get the, uh, to um, Saunders Creek, where there was a creek, there was a high ground, and it would put more pressure on the British in Camden. Unfortunately, what he didn't know was that his plan of march was going to intercept with Cornwallis' plan of march. That evening, or I should say the evening of August 15th, Gates issued molasses and beef to his soldiers, which if you try that sometime, uh, it does not help the digestion and many of the troops were lost on the march heading towards Camden, leaving the ranks to take care of the gastronomic issues. Marching out of Rougeley's Mill at 10 o'clock was the army with um, a little bit of cavalry under Armand in front, and on either flank some light infantry under Porterfield and Armstrong. Behind them were uh, the 1st Maryland Brigade, the 2nd Maryland Brigade, the North Carolina Militia, and then the Virginia Militia. Marching down the road, you have to imagine what they were marching through. This was all prime virgin pine forest, so the trees were huge. You know, you couldn't put your arms around these trees. High canopy, 35 to 40 feet above before any branches. High grass, uh, meadowland, in a sense, in the woods. The woods and the trees were far enough apart that they did not hinder any cavalry maneuvers whatsoever during the battle. And they began marching down the road. Unknown to them, Cornwallis from a, had heard about where um, Gates had camped. 
and decided that also that that was an indefensible position, and he decided to march toward them, ironically leaving at 10 o'clock at night from Logtown, which was just a little village, a uh, few houses north of Camden, the village of Camden itself. So through that night, the two armies were marching towards each other. As the British uh, crossed, and you'll see on the battlefield, a place called Dung Swamp, they stopped and reformed and were pretty tight together as they marched up the road. Then, marching up the road, one of the van, people in the van looked out and said, who's that? And the other side said, who are you? Shots fired. Both the British being British immediately charged against Armand's cavalry. Armand's cavalry were thrown back. Porterfield and Armstrong came up on either flank and began firing into uh, the, the British Legion. The British Legion was thrown back. Then the British infantry followed and a skirmish broke out on both sides. Then both sides realized that they had seen who they were meeting. Cornwallis was quite happy. He didn't have to march another additional few miles up the road to attack that morning. Gates, on the other hand, was thinking, now what? Both sides fell back, and, and the Americans began to try to discombobulate themselves from their, what had happened with the cavalry. They retreated back into the army. Um, their cavalry had gone into the 1st Maryland, got them discombobulated. Uh, the arch one piece of artillery had its trunnion broken by the horse horses, so they were already started the battle with one less artillery piece. And they began to line up. They had a brief discussion. What are we going to do? We can't back up. The wagons are behind us. We've got to fight. So they began lining up. Meanwhile, the British, under Cornwallis, decided it's going to be daylight in about two hours. Everybody take a break. Take a nap. When daylight comes, we'll deploy. So that's what happened. Gates got his army together and deployed. And here's where people debate for many years whether or not he made a big mistake or not. He put his militia on the, his left flank, which would be the east side of the battlefield. Here you can see some uh, uh, various maps of the deployment. But basically, the Virginia militia were on the very far left flank, and the North Carolina militia, and then the 2nd Maryland Brigade filled out over to the swamps. Both sides realized that there were swamps and declivities on either side so that they would not have to protect their flanks. So it was going to be a front-on-front front front battle. Gates put the 1st Maryland in the back in the reserve and waited till morning. In the morning, Cornwallis began his deployment. He put his regulars, 33rd and 23rd, on his right flank. And they began deploying to the left, coming up in column, and trying to stretch their, their people out because they didn't have enough people to cover that huge front of militia, the North Carolina and Virginia militia. On the left side, he put Lord Walden, the volunteers of Ireland, and the, and the North Carolina laurels. Now, the British didn't have really any militia in the militia sense. 
they were all veterans. They were all hardcore soldiers, been through a lot. The Americans, on the other hand, had a little issue with their militia. The militia were, the Virginia militia were pretty tired. Uh, they had come in late. Uh, they were starving and exhausted from their march from Virginia. But in any case, they lined up. That morning, here's a deployment showing the deployment, showing the declivities uh, using a LIDAR map. So you can see the anchors on both sides, how their, how their uh, flanks were anchored uh, so that people could not get through the swamps on either side. Initial lineup also on topographic map. As daylight came, the American artillery officer looked down the road and saw the British deploying. And he said, an aide named Otto Williams, sir, they're deploying, shall I fire? And Otto Williams said, sure. And the battle opened with artillery fire as the British were trying to get their lines straightened out. Williams rode back to the second line and saw Gates, General Gates, and he said, they're deploying. If we get some people out front, we can blunt their attack. Gates said, make it so. Williams rode up to the Virginia militia and the North Carolina militia, trying to get some volunteers to come forward to fire behind the trees to stop the British coming on. They were coming on with their bayonets, like the British always do, charging straight forward. So the artillery opens fire. This is August. This is August, sultry, hot day. It's going to be a really hot day, but it's also uh, lots of humidity. So this gun smoke is, is laying over the battlefield, and both sides are becoming very smoky, and no one can see much what's, what's going on. Unfortunately, Virginia militia, seeing the British coming forward with their bayonets, decided this was not a good day to fight and they began to flee. In fact, one of the, one of the people said that he, he is quoted saying something to the effect that he was one of the first to flee. He didn't know why he was going to flee, but it just seemed that everybody else was going to do it, so he decided he'd be the first. And off he took. And like an accordion, the Virginia militia of the North Carolina militia fled. Now, last week, incidentally, I gave this talk to um, my 50th VMI reunion. And uh, they let me know afterwards that I was disparaging the Virginia militia. <laughs> they let me know about your market. And in any case, they had no excuse. They fled. The battle began then to, to become two battles. As the first Maryland moved forward, they had the discipline to open their ranks and let the militia come through. And then they came forward, but they were hit by the 23rd and 33rd. On the American right flank, we don't know what happened. We think that the Americans pushed the uh, volunteers of Ireland back for briefly. Maybe Lord Walden was captured. But the battle was enveloped in smoke, and it was a fierce battle, as we will see the number of lead shot in the areas where, we, where this heavy battle occurred. But two battles were occurring. On the, on the right, as I said, we don't know what was happening, but it was a fierce battle. On the left, the first Maryland had to fall back and kept falling back. And as that happened, it became uh, like a lever. The 
left flank was falling back while the front other flank was staying steady. Cornwallis saw the gap between the two and sent the 71st and British Legion between them. The, 70, uh, the cavalry got behind the Continentals and then the Continentals had to fight their way off the battlefield in small groups. Now, I don't think that the Continentals ran away. I think they broke off into small groups, fought their way off of 20 to 10 to 20 people, hanging together, retreating, turning, firing, and then falling back. As their men fell, they could not pick them up. They just had to leave them. Losses, who knows? The British speak of 900, but that's probably not, not right. A lot of the Continentals showed up later in Hillsborough, North Carolina, where we lost 32 Continental officers. The British, of course, knew how many they had lost. 68 killed, 245 wounded, 11 missing. But the volunteers of Ireland had a huge casualty rate, indicating that the Continentals on the right flank put up a heck of a battle. And the 33rd also took a lot of artillery fire. Uh, and they, uh, the canister, the American canister, significantly impacted the 33rd. And these people were not going to be replaced. So the Americans, in many, in many senses, even though they lost a lot of battles, they kept attriting the British until eventually they were win this war. That's a very brief overview. There's lots of things more I can talk about, but we need to move on with the archaeology and the forensics. Thank you.